Hello, this is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Michelle Willis over Zoom video. Michelle was born in the UK, but raised in Canada. She moved to Toronto before she was even one years old, so she pretty much uh, grew up in Canada. Started off on the piano at a very early age, attended college for the jazz program, played jazz piano. After college, started working in different piano bars. She was also in a band. She talked to us about putting out her first record, which was called See Us Through. We hear about how she met and began to work with David Crosby and Becca Stevens, who are both on her new record. And she tells us all about her new record as well, which is called Just One Voice. You can watch our interview with Michelle on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Michelle Willis. I'm Adam, by the way, and this is about you, uh, your journey in music, and we'll talk about the new record as well. Cool. Sweet. So uh, first off, talk to me about where you were, were you born in the UK? I was. Yeah, I was born in North Yorkshire, and um, my dad was born there and from there, and uh, we moved back to Canada. My mom was from Canada. We moved back there when I was still a baby. I think I was a year old or something like that. So, Okay. So no real memory of, of the UK, I would imagine. <laughs> from vacation there, no. Okay. And then you moved to Canada. What part of Canada? Toronto. Toronto? Talk yeah. to me about growing up in Toronto. Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, as far as music goes, I was just, I mean, there's four kids in my family okay. and we all did different things. None of us were particularly sporty. Although my sister, anyway, I don't need to go into all that. <laughs> was kind of sporty. Um, but we all were involved and my mom was primarily a single mom. So um, a lot of driving, a lot of, a lot of driving and a lot of uh, rehearsals and weekend things. And um, so I grew up. I just realized I've got this reverb on my voice, which is- It sounds pretty cool though. <laughs> yeah. Although it doesn't sound cool like later, let me promise you when, when you start to edit it, you're like, that is annoying. Um, uh, Toronto is a wonderful city and, and certainly musically, there's so much going on. Um, there's so many different communities of musicians and they overlap in really interesting ways. And I feel very lucky that I was part of that world and and got to feel like such a part of it um, in, across so many webs, you know, over, overlapping webs um, before I moved here because it gave me a strong idea of how that how community works in music and how vital it is for mm-hmm. survival. You said you're one of four four kids. Mm-hmm. Where where do you fall in line? second yeah but my sister is about four years older then there's me i'm 35 and my younger brother and sister are 29 and 28 so okay two really close to each other and then a couple gaps we call, we call them the kids the kids okay kids are coming home they're, 20, they're almost 30 okay <laughs> are you the only musician or uh, music in your family Music is very much in my family. Um, yeah, my Nana loved singing. Great, great singer, great harmony singer. All my aunts and uncles, all her kids love singing harmony and playing music. My uncle had one time, a lot of holidays we would get together and play and they loved all those songs from the 60s and the 70s, that whole singer-songwriter era especially. And uh, I remember the story of my Uncle Ed, like we always knew he could play guitar, and my brother was learning how to play drums at this time. Mm-hmm. And my uncle sits down at the drum set. And he starts playing and we all turn around like, Ed, that sounds, sounds pretty good. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. 
<laughs> anyway, they're all just kind of naturally like, super. Yeah, generous. naturally, naturally good. That's funny. He found it genuinely pretty good on okay. the ground. It was shocking. But yeah, and my siblings too. My sister has a rock band that she's she's. It's like this metal slash like like kind of proggy. She's amazing. She's way cooler than I'll ever be. And now she's also playing piano in that band and singing and writing all the vocal arrangements. She's really wow. So she's doing this professionally as well. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Have you guys ever collaborated together? Not in any, you know, like particular strong sense but yeah I mean, we she when i go home sometimes if i'm working on something or if i do a live stream concert or something she'll she'll jump on and and my mom her you know one of her five goals in life is that olivia and my sister and i have a band together i just the harmony is so good <laughs> yeah you guys should put a record out or at least a song that'd be awesome yeah, we will we will do something <laughs> What was the first instrument you learned? Uh, I, I mean, singing. Okay. Uh, but I, but I guess uh, piano. I, I can remember, like, my head being at the keys of our family piano and just this kind of stuff. And my mom was the first person to teach me things on it, and she also did this like. Uh, she did. She did this thing. It was basically that the whole time. No, no, I forget what it was. Um, and we would, she would get us to play all the black keys on top. Basically, mm -hmm. we would play would sound great. And she'd be like, oh, yeah, you're really good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and we felt like we were just like playing some cool like Dixieland stuff and and yeah it really fostered fun and and like excitement on the piano and uh i think she taught me for release and just a few little things that kept me running back to the piano and um I did you eventually it. take lessons then like yeah i took okay. lessons off and on i'm really glad that i did and at the same time i'm really glad my mom pulled me out when she did there was this oh, okay push and pull I, I, I took piano for I think four years I had a wonderful teacher um, and I was a terrible student I didn't want to <laughs> I didn't practice what was on the page I was like my sister played this song I think I remember how it goes and she'd be like it's right in front of you just read the music <laughs> I think I want to remember and um and my mom took me out at a certain point because she realized that I stopped practicing um when it was my homework um, and as soon as she took me out, I would play all the time. Oh, um, interesting. It's kind of a thing that's followed me in my life. I think I, 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 I don't think it's very uncommon as, as musicians, but, or even maybe anybody, but once something becomes the thing like that you a, have to do. Yeah. Like a chore. You're like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> something else that's fun to do. Right. Um, right. So it's always finding that balance of, of like making, making the time really sacred and, and which is next to impossible um, mentally these days, because I find whenever you sit down at your instrument and you're like, okay, I'm just going to practice and get in the zone. There's a moment at some point, maybe not at the beginning, maybe at the end where you're like, oh, I should take a video of this and post it on social media and say that I'm practicing this song. So everyone knows that I'm good at doing this thing. On the, and it, it's like, you know, the, the creation of quote unquote content, um, becomes this rat chase that really invades that sacred space in playing music. Mm -hmm. so I have to constantly remind myself to, to fight against that. It is interesting though, because it's kind of a double-edged sword where maybe you don't want to do it, but then it's like your fans and you got to kind of stay in relevant or, or whatever in the algorithm of social media to continue to kind of post things and, yeah. I mean, and it also, it also helps Instagram and social media stay afloat if they tell everyone that the only way they're yeah. going to be famous is if we keep using their platform. I mean, it's all, it's all a rat chase. And, and, um, I really, when I teach now, I, one thing I try to say to younger students, I mean, I, I just taught a master class, and the question I was asked three or four times to varying 
in like different variations was how do you like can you tell us about promoting yourself (laughs) (laughs) that's the most in a songwriting class how do you promote so that is like a really clear to me um sign of where we're at you know i wasn't man in university i wasn't asking how to promote myself to like Mm um i don't know I'm blanking now, but all these like heavyweights that were coming into my jazz school playing, I wasn't like, how do you promote your town? Dave Holland, you know, (laughs) he didn't know. Um, Right. It's so weird now. I mean, I always think of, I'm a little bit older than you are. And it's to me growing up, it was like one, you can only like, like one genre of music. If you liked punk Mm -hmm. music, you weren't allowed to listen to, you know, anything else in your group of friends. But the and people then, who did were the coolest. Right. And then it was like, if you, and then it was like the, the idea of like selling out or it, like all those things. I don't feel like the goal now for, for younger generation is like, I want that viral video. I want to have, you know, X million subscribers. Like it's just, it's totally different than at least I, when I was growing up. It's funny to think about. Yeah. And I don't have any problems with, people who you know for whatever reason just want to be famous i think being famous sucks my my view of it looks like it sucks looks like you don't have a private life but which you don't uh, really (laughs) um and there's plenty of things that suck but there's plenty of things that seem great about it maybe Mm -hmm. special treatment and things like that um maybe and whatever but uh but being famous just for the sake of being famous um, or having a viral video, it's like, cool. Then what are you like? Yeah. Then who are you? Just someone who wants another viral video. <laughs> yeah. You're just chasing that. Right. And it's like, now what? <laughs> and, and I know people have all sorts of answers for those kinds of things, but, and, and I'm not, um, I'm not, not entrenched in it. I'm so entrenched in it. I spend, a couple hours maybe every day like dealing with some form of social media either creating either like gathering the 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 photos and the videos um and editing them or sending them to an like making notes and saying cut from here to here and then sending them to an editor and or writing the copy which is I, i know you know this but for anyone listening it's just like the actual language that is used all of that is me sitting at home being like okay you know and every day there's something coming out every Mm -hmm. day and um you know and we're releasing an album on friday so So it's more intense than than normal um but promotion is a part of any business if it's the music business or anything but uh i find as a musician it's so personal and, mm-hmm. and and they kind of there's there's sort of this demand for it to be personal uh, otherwise it's not popular whatever and, and uh i really i'm really fighting with it these days and how i relate to it and and how much like what's the balance of it it's like how much do you give away You're giving mm-hmm. away so much and again it's like yeah this this company facebook and instagram is saying if you post more, if you give us more, then we'll push you more. But mm-hmm. there's only so far that that goes and ultimately it keeps them in business. So I just, I'm, I'm struggling, but we can talk about so many more other interesting things. <laughs> no, this is great. Talking about it for our whole yeah. interview. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Um, oh, I have a quick question on your, your teaching. You see, so you have a master class on songwriting and you, do you also teach what, piano at all or or is just the songwriting class the i taught uh i made a a five-week program during covid um on a songwriting thing just based on things that uh, i found that when i taught one-on-one and it's mostly just songwriting i I don't really Mm -hmm. teach piano or voice okay certainly not on zoom um, but it's doable but uh i was getting asked a lot of the same questions so i created this course Mm-hmm. For, and I haven't done it since last year, but recently I spoke at the new school. They had a songwriting oh, wow. course that my friend Jean Rowe, who's another great songwriter, um, she teaches that program and asked me to come in and talk. That's cool. That is really cool. 
Well, going back to, to you and growing up and piano and uh, did you continue? You said you went to college for you went to jazz school. Mm-hmm. Did you what play piano through elementary school, middle school, high school? Was that your instrument? And is that mm-hmm. were you in the school band, orchestra or I jazz sang, band? I mean, I never sang that. Well, actually, I sang in the jazz vocal. We were called jam with two M's and an E. Nice. Um, yeah, I know. And <laughs> <laughs> I went to, I sang in a lot of different choirs. I sang in an Anglican choir that really was the foundation um, of, of so much of my musical language. And, and that something like the song Think Well. The harmony in that piece is so much something that I would have like um, sung in, in, a, in a choir like in that choir, um, a lot of hymns and and, uh, okay. and things like that. And then in yeah, growing up, basically in high school, I went to a music theater high school. Oh, cool! And, and it was like an arts high school in Etobicoke in, in Toronto. And uh, college, I played jazz piano there, and that really informed my harmonic information, and and also just like the rhythm and the sexy ballsiness of the piano too. I um, I remember the first time I heard uh, can't remember his name right now, but um, he's a Brazilian piano player, really influenced by blues in 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 piano, and it just turn my head on on its side and all of a sudden I wrote this and I had never written anything like that before and it really inspired me to play more rhythmically and play with time in a more interesting way in the piano and and that has I think you see more evidence of that in this record um in unlike my first record, which was really after I graduated from college, I joined a roots like this modern roots band, which was really more based on improvisation and um, folk songwriting structures, but in a more open context. And um, I learned so much from that. And that became like the basis for my songwriting was getting a crash course in folk music and, and different songwriting structures. Um, and then I think by the time I was writing the music in the period of my life um, for this next record, it was far more, all of that older, it was like all, all of that kind of stuff that I had learned through college that I had kind of patted down after I graduated and was like, I do folk now. Um, it all started to come back out. But now with this foundation, with this sort of, this more songwriting foundation and, you know, 10 Joni Mitchell records glued into my brain and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's where a lot of that vocabulary started to grow from. Okay. And well, right out of college, you did, were you playing the piano bars and stuff in Toronto? Is that where it kind of started? Yeah. Yeah. I love and- that. <laughs> 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 and from there, was that when you joined the the band was right, at, was out of that or the folk band that you're talking about or was that oh at, no it was out of college yeah oh, okay. i i um i got a call asking if i would do a gig with this band called the henry's which just happened to be like this super cool um modern roots band that had featured mary margaret o'hara and actually becca stevens um had sung on a couple tracks of their most recent record at the time wow um martina sorbera and uh <clears throat> excuse me yeah so okay. i that's that's sort of where i took and then i started playing a pump organ in that band and that's why i got into the pump organ which you can't see but it's behind a bunch of plants right now okay and uh and and then simultaneously was doing piano bars to just pay the rent um which is a tough scene to get into in any city because yeah if you have that gig you're not letting it go it's like three hours of paid practice and you get to dress up and go home and call it a night Yeah, take requests and all <laughs> yeah piano bars are fun there was uh i grew up in san diego and there's one like a dueling piano bar and 
Okay. I'm totally blanking on the name right now, but it was cool. Like it, they made it a lot of fun. It was awesome. Yeah, that's probably less my scene. I'm not like a dueling anybody. Were but- you just like, was it like a hip, like a piano, a hip piano bar? Or was it more like you just sit there and kind of be the, the uh, backing track to more dinner? Music, which I was <laughs> totally fine with. I mean, people would always come up and say hi and, and say they enjoyed it and all this stuff. But it was at a, it was a few different places, but I ended up being the most at a place called Jacob's Steakhouse in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was just a place where you could pay like $30 for broccoli and, you know, nice. more, more like $400 for steak. And, uh, I would, they had a nice piano. They had a uh, PA system and I would just play. I once had a guy, I had finished my set. It was a three hour set. I walked up to the bar to get a drink and he comes up to me and he's like, are you done playing? And this guy had talked the entire time, like loudly. He was while you're playing yeah just while, while i was obnoxious. playing just obnoxious and you could tell it was like a big performance and there was a lot of people like that that would go in in a place like that it's a great as a songwriter again it's like a great observational place to be you really see <laughs> react how people deal with money and all this stuff and this guy comes up and i'm already just like get away from me dude he's annoying mm-hmm. and he has like a wad of 20s he was like can you just play some more Billy Joel and Elton John? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) Of course I can. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did that for another 45 minutes and then I went home. That's awesome. I didn't even think good night. He didn't, it was just the most bizarre thing. But that was the scene. So people weren't paying attention and they were paying attention, you know, which is always, that's the best line. It's like, it gives me freedom to just, I would just, you know, play whatever I wanted. They never, they never asked me to play certain things or not other things. Um, so it's it amazing. Really so you had free. freedom, yeah, yeah, to kind of do what you wanted. Yeah, that's cool. And from there, what was? Were you writing songs for people? I know you wrote with a lot of people, and was that kind of the next step in your your journey? I was writing with that band with the Henrys that turned into a band called Three Meter Day, and that was. Um, I released a, a little EP in 2010 mm-hmm. and three meter day made a record together and released it in 2011. And that was my first time co-writing with other people. And then I, I had a band with a few girlfriends of mine in the city. Um, I, yeah, again, just more collaborative stuff. And, the, and then uh, as it kept going, I realized that I wasn't playing with very many I don't know. At some point I, I realized I wasn't expanding very much. And I was kind of in, I, in my playing, I was, if anything, I was simplifying to a degree that I, I didn't think I was growing. I thought I was kind of hiding a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started a show that I produced for about six months in Toronto. And then I did it again once I moved to New York for another six months here, um, where I would invite other songwriters and I would have a new rhythm section every time. And so it was called Songs We Write, Covers We Love. And I would play, we would play together two or three of their songs, two or three of mine. And then I would cover one of their songs and they would cover one of mine. Oh, wow. And I would always try to finish something that I've been working on for the show. It was once a month. And that really kickstarted a lot for me. And I just realized at the album release show, um, because my friend Tom, who did a lot of those shows with me, um i was like oh yeah i finished that i finished like a bunch of these songs that are now on this record for that show and uh it really forced me to expand and um and also be a lot less precious you know when you're starting out as a songwriter you're like no one understands my true art and like (laughs) no you just need to chill out a little bit and just see where it goes you know Uh and um so especially hiring a new rhythm section every time just kind of like allowing things to take on whatever life they were going to take with those musicians and their vocabulary and hearing someone else cover your own song and being able to cover it. it and it introduced me to a lot of songwriters. Um, and that was kind of my main focus for a while. Mm-hmm. And from that, I, it was also terrifying to me to like branch out in that way and, and, and ask people to be a part of something that was just for me that no one yeah. was any money from. I think, I only paid people like 50 bucks a show and 
And then you have to ask them to be kind enough to rec- like learn one of your songs and then, oh, you know, a lot of work. perform it. And yeah. Yeah. And everyone was super cool. I, I think the vibe was really good. I, I think if it wasn't, some people wouldn't do it, you know, but I think it's a great idea yeah. and I would love to see that. I mean, go in and watch two song renders that you like and kind of, you know, cover each other's songs. Not only that, but you're finishing a song on yeah. stage for the audience that they'll be essentially the first people to hear it completely yeah. done. Like that's a really cool thing to be a part of. I have a friend, um, Andrew Phillips, who I don't, I don't really know Andrew that well, but I've known him for many years now because he attended one of those shows and either he or a guy that he, a friend that he brought recorded how come on his phone. And it was the first time we had ever performed that song live. It was with my friend, Alex Samaras and Felicity Williams. And they were the featured guests that show. Mac Longprey was playing drums and probably Charles James um, playing bass. And that was the first time we played that song. And, and these guys have had that song on their phone for, I don't admit, that was probably 2013 or 2014. Wow. And they kept, every once in a while, I'll get an email from Andrew or Mac or one of these guys, and they're like, still love that song. When that song comes up, <laughs> still got that song on my phone. I still play it. Like, so it's cool. It, yeah. It's cool. That's though. really cool. I'm just taking on. Were you saying some of those songs from those shows are on this new record that's coming out? Wow. Yeah. So Trigger, How Come, Liberty. I remember, oh man. The demo that I made for Liberty was like, it was so more like morbid and slow and like, <laughs> like a scary dream. Um, but that was the first show I did that with my friend, Brian McMillan, another great songwriter in Toronto. Um, yeah. Liberty trigger. How come for sure. Janet, I had already, I, I made later. Uh, can't remember the others but those those three for sure okay well you could but you put a record out in 2016 and Mm -hmm. was that all like what was the purpose of keeping those songs off of that record um they're very different okay you know the tonality is really different see us through that whole album was i was really trying to get more into the americana style of things even though the harmony was still a little bit outside of that mm-hmm. we certainly weren't like classic americana um and we played it at i remember we played it at, at like folk alliance or um what, whatever the ontario folk thing is the folk conference um i just remember someone being like well it's not really folk is it <laughs> great Welcome to the the 2000s. Nice feedback. Um, Cool cool opinion. Um, And uh, yeah, and and I I think coming out of Three Meter Day and really having a reverence for that style of songwriting, but still writing, you know, I, I think that someone like Paul Simon does that. He, it's, it feels like folk music in some ways because of the instrumentation. Mm -hmm. Um, but the harmony itself moves and is so inspired by jazz and even classical harmony, you know, I mean, uh, um, I mean, that's a hymn. It's so sacred head surrounded. I grew up singing that hymn. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's not like it's a new thing, you know, to, to combine these influences um but anyway yeah i i think see us through was was me trying to get a little closer to the the folk structure of things and the sound particularly of things um whereas this i knew that it was going to be bigger i mean if you to compare the two records it's like this one is just bigger it's just in your face um it's far more focused on groove Mm-hmm. Um, in a in a more immediate sense, in a more like trio kind of sense, whereas see us through, it has a real feel and and it has a beautiful groove to it, but it's it floats a lot more. It it doesn't dig in as hard, 
And, you know, the opening 30 seconds of Liberty is just like meaty. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would say those are two main differences. And and actually, we tried to record Liberty and Trigger for CS Through and because I was feeling quite proud of them and I, and they mm-hmm. were my most new songs and uh, they just didn't fit. And I never really was settled or, or really happy with the way they turned out. They were, they sounded beautiful, but they didn't sound right yet. Mm-hmm. And um, um, now you have, you know, David Crosby on it. <laughs> now I'm pretty, pretty yeah, good. Pretty with happy it. with it. I would imagine. <laughs> uh, well, I want to get into that, but um, I'm curious. So you like when you're writing those songs and, and doing this show that you had and, and these songs like Liberty and these songs are being finished. What was the, the idea from there to be like, okay, I'm going to put a solo record out and use these songs. And then what changed to going into that first record? When I wrote. Like you're, you, cause you're writing those songs on stage. Like, like you said, Liberty, that was before 2016, wasn't it? Before that yeah. album. Yeah. So were you just writing these songs and was the idea then to put out a solo album? And then when you came to write, like, when did you decide to write that first record? I mean, I, and like put out a solo album, I guess. Writer. I mean, writing is therapy. First of mm-hmm. all, I don't write a song and I'm like, mm, guess I'm going to make a record. Like it, 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 it's always been a way that I just, it was the healthiest way for me to process what I was going through in general. So when it, the the moment that I knew I wanted to make an album was kind of, I I knew, I knew I had to make the next album just in general. Um, I just didn't know how I was going to do it. And I wanted to do it in a special way. And I don't know if you um, have seen a bit of this, but we also made a live record, Mm -hmm. same record. Um, uh, it's got 10 songs instead of 11 and it features David Crosby. Mm-hmm. And part of what really inspired me to m- make the album in general, um, was because I thought, Oh, I could make, because I'm a masochist. I was like, Oh, I can make two records, one <laughs> live with a totally different band in a totally different location, my old Toronto like stalwarts that I had grown, you know, that I've been playing with for however many years. I made two records, mm-hmm. so I had the the live thing, and then we recorded a whole other studio album, which was really the sound that I had envisioned, like something that had more immediacy, more, you know. I was so enthralled with Blake Mills and that Hey Ho record at that time, which had come out in 2016 when I was in the process of making CS through, I was like, I've never heard anything like this. And I wanted to sound like that. And I knew that those songs that these songs that are on just one voice had the capability of living in a world like that, um, that we could arrange them. So, and, uh, and that was more interesting to me. I think at the time I was just watching records come out and it was, Again, like to what we're talking about earlier with social media, it just seemed so sad the way these albums were coming out and just kind of like flopping and no one knew what they were doing mm-hmm. with with digital stuff. And um, it was quite depressing to me to see really beautiful work just kind of flitting off. And And I was inspired by this idea. I thought it seemed interesting to myself. And if it's interesting to me, then it'll be somewhat interesting to other people or there will be other people who feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's why I did that. I don't know if that answers your question, no, but I, I, I think there's no real like moment where I'm like, okay, I'm going to make a record, you know? Okay. <laughs> but, but uh, I think the, I can't remember if, if this was you and I talking about this or not, but basically I was carrying around these two songs that were a live recording of how come, and just one voice. No, you didn't tell me this story. Okay. I think it was the gentleman before you. Um, so I was carrying around these two live recordings of How Come and Just One Voice that we had performed as encores at the CS Through album release show. Oh, wow. And we recorded it and actually filmed it. And I, at this point, had been on the road with um, Cross 
uh, and as well as Becca and Cross had two bands and all three of those bands were touring nonstop. And I had not a second to get in the headspace of like, I'm going to pour a bunch of money into my own project and, and like finish all these songs and arrange them properly and all this stuff. And, but I knew, and I, it, that was really kind of depressing to me that, that I hadn't been giving myself that chance. I had just been taking the work that I had been offered, you know, and uh, I played these two songs for Cross, and I knew it was good. I just like every time I heard it, I was like, "This shit is great," and I know the crowd feels great. We felt amazing. Like it's good. I know it's good. So, so what? <laughs> and uh, I played them for him, and uh, it was like two in the morning or something. You know. We're, driving to Timbuktu somewhere and he just he listened to it and gave me such confidence and was like you got to do this just do it you have to make this music this sounds like you do it and I don't know anyone who believes in music more than him if maybe maybe his wife Jan believes it the most um but there's such firm believers in the power of music and he inspired me and gave me a lot of confidence to, to go for it. And that night I applied for, I started applying for a grant and I think I sent it in like a day or so later. Um, and because I'm lucky to be Canadian in this regard, uh, we have, uh, like, amazing granting Grant. the mm-hmm. arts. yeah which is not like i've applied many times and not received a, a, a acceptance period at all um this was one one of many but um but it was the one time that i that i was offered it and uh that's how it all got kick-started wow yeah canada is amazing when it comes to that program and the only other country i've heard that does that is uh new zealand has a similar program with but nowhere else i mean will they support the arts like that yeah it's pretty awesome Mm -hmm. yeah really really i i don't there's no way i there's no way i would have embarked on this project without their support wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to happen it was just too crazy (laughs) yeah uh well when did you meet david crosby and how did that relationship start I met him on a recording session. Um, Snarky Puppy had put together uh, a roster of musicians from all over the world. And it was, the album was called Family Dinner Volume 2. And uh, that's where I met David. He was there. Becca Stevens was there. That's where I met her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura Mvula, uh, Charlie Hunter, um, a Swedish trio called Vesson. Uh, Susanna Baca from Peru. It was incredible. And we were there for a week and it was like band camp. Like everyone was so happy to be there. Everyone just stayed and hung around and listened to the music and was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> you know, we all literally ate together and hung out in the kitchen and you'd go downstairs and there'd be like jam sessions between Jacob Collier and. (laughs) So, yeah, that's so crazy to think. It was really unheard of. Mm -hmm. Surreal. And it was during Mardi Gras. It was like a nightmare for the logistics production team. It was, I don't think they slept for a week. I don't think Mike, the, the uh, band leader, Snuggy Puppy, I don't think he slept more than a couple hours that whole week. Wow. Yeah. It was wild. And it really, began um, so many friendships uh, that I'm that are a constant regular part of my life now um, you know I became a regular member of Becca's band and 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 then joined Kraz's band we recorded with him and then he um, created a band with Becca and Michael League and myself and himself um, so that quartet did a tour and then I went on the road with Becca. And then that Christmas, Cross called me and was like, I'm starting another band. I want you to be in it too. I was like, All right. Sounds good. Let's do this. 
and then that started and then we made a record and and then yeah and i was just never home for for basically until COVID hit i mean wow. we started recording just one voice uh in the beginning of 2019 and it was it was uh, I ran my body down to a degree that I don't ever want to do again. It was just like so much touring and time zones and all this stuff and just rough. Mm -hmm. uh, and then coming home and spending every, every last second that I was home uh, at Flux and working on mixes with Fab and recording and doing all that. It was just, there was not a moment that it led up. So actually when COVID hit, I was so was like as as terrifying and like paralyzing as it was. I cried probably multiple times a day every day during the beginning, like the first couple of months of COVID. And I was here by myself. It was also like, <laughs> like finally get a break. <laughs> hamster wheels off, losers. <laughs> Nothing matters. Turn off your phone. Go read a book. <laughs> Nothing matters. Um, so that lasted for a few weeks. And then I realized I had to find a way to make money. <laughs> but um, was the record finished in 2019 or? No. Did, okay. No, we tracked most of the instruments that by, by then. Um, and what was really left was the vocals. So I recorded a lot of the vocals here at home. Um, most of the background vocals, I think, were tracked here. Some of the leads, uh, and then some I went and redid in Flux by around the fall or something of 2020. And uh, Becca came in 2021, I think, to track some vocals. And um, Gregoire Murray was the last person to track on the record. Okay. Yeah. You said uh, earlier that your is your mom was a big fan of like sixties and seventies music. Yeah, all my aunts and uncles. Oh yeah, aunts and uncles. Sure. Like telling them that you were playing with David Crosby. Like how? I mean, do you remember that phone call or that uh, conversation? I don't remember that conversation, but I can imagine it was something like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! No! Oh my god! I'm so can I call Uncle Paul?" That was probably something like what my mom said. That's okay. What she said. <laughs> I mean, just looking back, like growing up and just seeing the people that you've performed with, like telling yourself, you know, in high school that you're, you know, at one point you're going to be playing with David Crosby and Becca Stevens. Like, I, I yeah, what would what yourself then probably would just be like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I answered this question the other day and the way these things come out in interviews, it's always, there's always like a moment where I'm like, oh, why did I say it like that? But <clears throat> I think by the time, like in, in high school, I was, my teacher said, I think you'll like this song. And I died. <laughs> such a huge huge fan i thought that was the coolest thing that have ever existed on piano up basically at that point un unless it was ray charles and so yeah i mean those kinds of people were just such a far away not even reality they were like mm -hmm. some magical part of the ether that doesn't exist and um And so was being a musician, to be quite honest. I mean, at that point, I had like a couple of friends, my friend Charlie and Nathan, we, we played some of my songs together sometimes. And Charles was like a big supporter of me and was like, we got to do more here. You know, and so I was playing, I was playing, I had written and performed one song. Um, but I still, you know, being in musical choirs and being in things, it was normal. It didn't feel like, be like trying to be some you know what we call an artist like a mm -hmm. artist these days um <clears throat> that's not to say i didn't listen to 
Whitney Houston with a hairbrush and, and like sing in front of the mirror, but you know, it's like fantasy. That's what that right, is. Right. Um, and once I got into college and I did like my final year of college, I performed my music and then I joined the Henry's and all of it started to feel like, Oh, I'm just kind of like, I'm on this path. I'm doing this thing. And the more I do it, it's, it's working out. I mean, mm-hmm. not to say it's easy, not to say I'm, it's like successful or like in terms of finance or, or anything like that. It's not to say it's like, but it just keeps growing. Right. And, and I keep playing with people that are, uh, that to me are like heroes, you know, the Henry's, the guys in that band were really friggin' cool. Um, and it, even like my friends would be like, Whoa, you're playing. And these guys are like in their sixties, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm like this 20 year old, like, mm, cool, yeah. and, um, so there was a part of me as I got older that, um, you know, amidst all of the insecurity and, and imposter syndrome that I feel or have felt or certainly felt at that time and all the green that I was, there was like this little voice in me that kept, it was very small, <laughs> that kept saying like, you can do this. And, and I would see, I got to um, sing with Josh Groban when I was in high school, they, they, they had hired a gospel choir to sing with him and the gospel choir couldn't do it for some reason. So they called our high school because we were in arts high school. Oh, wow. In the last minute call. <laughs> and, um, and I remember there was like 10,000 people in the audience and my knees were shaking the whole time. And I was going like, because ah! I was so nervous, but the best part of that was not the performance. It was the sound check. And I remember seeing him, uh, you know, and I'm, I mean, Josh Groban is great, but I wasn't like a huge fan of his like or super anything. fan or something. Yeah. But he was sitting at the piano. He was just doing a mic check, doing like checking the piano and the monitors. I don't think I had ever seen that. And it twigged something in me that was like, I want, I want it. I want that. And all of this is a really long way of saying that the more that I, was in this world and meeting other musicians and and getting to feel the the um, safety and um, encouragement mm-hmm. to do my own thing. The more, and then I would look around and I would see other people and I'd be like, I can do this, I can do that. So there's a part of me that thinks that. Um, as absurd as it is because there's no promises in music right right um there's a part of me that thinks like the older that i get the more i think yeah i can meet them there's a way like music is small and Mm -hmm. and you and i know that the way that i it sounds pompous and it's really not I, i i it's not about being great um it's about i know that i can communicate in a certain place and that that place is a place that we all aspire to get to as musicians it's like it's a place of 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 like listening and communicating and communicating something real that that connects with people and i think that place when we all like get out of our ego and out of ourselves um is where we sh- we should all live and and mm-hmm. where we can all communicate and um so i don't think it's that absurd right no it makes total sense i mean you it's not like you just started right i mean you've been working and working and working at this for your whole life and once you start kind of working your way up the ladder and working with certain people like I love what you said. Like, it's not like, you know, I, I can see myself working with certain people just because you have been there and you're doing it and you have more, probably more confidence and more confidence in your playing and your songwriting that you're like, okay, I feel like I could sit in a room with so-and-so and, and 
Uh, you know, and we could talk, right? Talk, and I could contribute in a certain way to what they are thinking and speaking. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So, <laughs> well, tell me about this. Record's coming out um, in three days, which is huge. Yeah. And you said there's a live version of it and then the recorded version and the recorded one has one extra song. Yes. Okay. What's the extra one on the, on the album? It's called on and on. And, uh, the vibe is a little tricky on that one. And we only had two and a half days of rehearsal for the live record. And, um, wow. Granted half the band I had played with for years, but I hadn't been in Toronto for the last four years. So, um, on and on, it just didn't come together. And I was like, it's okay. Let's just not do it. Let's not, you know, put on a show where we're playing a song that we don't feel great about. Um, that's just what the live record will be. And, uh, so that's why, but it's a beautiful recording on the record. It's so, it's really, it's one of my favorite tracks on the record, I think. Are you doing uh, a tour to support the album and all or? A little bit. We've got some dates we're putting together for the fall in Europe and I'm um, trying to make a West Coast States thing happen. Um, and at the end of April, I'm going to go to France and Germany. We're going to do some promo. Wow. Yeah, that'd be great. That's exciting. Totally. Very exciting. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Michelle. I really appreciate your time. This has been awesome. Um, I have one more question. I want to know if you have advice for aspiring artists. Turn your phone off. Just, or turn your Wi-Fi off for hours at a time. My friend uh, calls it the time around time, which is a luxury that not everybody gets to have, like hours upon hours. But give yourself a few hours just without your phone and spend music Spend time in music that has zero purpose outside of just you.